Amen. Hey, before I get started, I want to take a moment to say thank you to Melody. Um, Melody does our coordinating for our worship team and for our tech team as well. And she hates when I do this. You can tell as she's marching away pretending like I'm not talking about her. Uh, but, but Melody has done such a great job of, of getting us ready each week, um, preparing our worship services, uh, preparing our band members, our vocalists, and everyone to be uh, prepped and ready for our, our weekly services. And she has to work with me as well, and I don't always give her the info she needs. So I'm very appreciative of her, and I uh, just want to say thank you to you. Yeah. All right, go ahead and find a Bible and get with me to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. In the Bibles we have here, uh, it would be page 830, 830 in the Bibles that we have here in those baskets there on the ground. Uh, We're turning our attention now to the Christmas season, and we're beginning to look at Christmas and, and all that that has in store for us. We're looking at these early chapters in the book of Luke because it's the first telling of that, that Christmas story. It's the, the telling from the Bible of the events that happened. And so this morning, we're going to notice this hope, the message of hope that Christmas offers and how it shows up on the scene and what that means for us. So I'm going to pray and then we'll get after it. Lord, we ask right now for you to speak to us. Lord, we, uh, we pray that you would help us as a church family to be aware of what you're doing during this holiday season. And as a church family, we don't just want to march through this without taking significant time to reflect on the beauty and the hope of the gospel message that you sent your son. And so, Lord, as we open the word now, would you please speak to us? Help us, God, to hear your voice. Help us, God, to embrace the priorities that you have for us during Christmas. And help us as a church to acknowledge our Lord and Savior. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Well, the first thing that I want to show you here is that the hope of God that arrives at Christmas time, it actually comes in a season of pain. Look with me at verses 5 to 7. It's talking about a husband and his wife and their situation. And it says, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elijah, was also, I'm sorry, his wife, Elizabeth, Elijah, ooh, that'd be weird. Uh, His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. So right into this story, the first thing that we're told about is that it's a season of pain that this priest and his wife have a desire to have a child, and they have not had that longing fulfilled. That there's this personal pain for them, that they're going through this season, and they're, they're getting up in age, and so they're, they're realizing that, that, that possibility for us is probably not even alive anymore. And so there's this, this significant pain for them, this pain of barrenness, this pain of having something that they want so badly, but not being able to experience it. And, and in, their, in their culture, one of the things about barrenness was that, that many of them would see that as kind of a divine curse, that if they're not able to have kids, then maybe the reason is they've done something deserving of this. And they would have some proof text, some things from the Bible that they would kind of hijack and say, look, this is why you probably can't have kids. It's something to do with the way that you're relating to God. And maybe, maybe you've, you've taken a misstep along the way, and maybe that's why you're experiencing so much pain. But we see here the very first Christmas is a, is, is a season that's marked with pain. Pain for 
this priest and pain for his wife and pain for their family. And one of the things that I want to point out to you, though, is that this is a, I think the Bible gives us a clear understanding that it is not the result of a divine curse. That even though that might have been a popular idea, and maybe it's still popular even today, but, but for them, it's not the case. In fact, we're told by Luke that these two individuals are very godly individuals. They both belong, belong to this priestly division, and they were descendants of Aaron, and both of them, look at verse 6, both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. In other words, we, we want to think that bad guys have bad experiences, good guys have good experiences, but the Bible kind of blows that whole paradigm up. The, the reality is, I think all the way from the beginning, that the, the, the pain that people experience, it's a very nuanced thing. That sometimes the very best of people have the very worst of experiences. That pain is not something that's uniquely privileged for those who are doing sketchy things, but it's something that even the righteous go through on a regular basis. So this man and his wife, they're experiencing the pain of barrenness, a desire to have a child and that desire being unfulfilled. And when I was thinking about it, just praying for you guys and praying for our church family, there's so much pain in here this morning. There's so many situations that are going on, so much happening right now that we need a message of hope like, like Christmas offers to us. And there's so much pain going on in here. And one of the temptations that we might have is to think, what have I done to deserve this? What have I done? Is there something that I could have done differently? Why am I having to go through this right now? And that, that doubt and that fear and that concern is something that we can put on ourselves, is something that other people can put on us. As we're going to see here in a little, little bit, Elizabeth, she recognized that when she would walk through the town streets, everyone would look at her and think, man, there is a mess right there. She was experiencing the reproach of the people, the criticism of the people, because she's getting up in age and she has no children. And for us, we can be marching through life with all of this pain, and we can be thinking, what on earth have I done to deserve this? And God wants to remind us here, even this morning, that that's, it's not always the case that we have done something deserving of the pain that we're going through. And in fact, that pain might be an opportunity for God to reveal his glory. So they were righteous people observing carefully the things of God, and nonetheless, they were experiencing this difficulty. And they had this longing, a longing for a child. I think during the Christmas season, a lot of our longings kind of come to the surface. There are things that we want. And we can imagine that maybe during the Christmas season, it'll be a time of fulfillment. You know, maybe for some of us, it's relational stuff going on, and we're excited about the opportunity to have family together and to have a meal together. And we think, look, if we could just get everyone together at the same table, that's going to be incredible, and everyone's going to be happy, and we're going to celebrate together. We can have a longing like that, which is a good and great longing. Some of us, we have a longing that if we could get a bonus check, that if there was a lot of money that came from our employment this week, that would be incredible. That if the finances all of a sudden were just freed up and we could do what we wanted to do, that would be uh, an incredible reality. There's a longing that some of us have. I was thinking about, uh, you know, Lampoon's Christmas vacation when he's sitting there, you know, looking out the window going, if I could just get that pool, if I could get that pool, my family would be so thrilled. And he's just putting all of his hope and his longing in that. For some of us, it's a gift. It's gonna, we're thinking, if this thing shows up under the tree, game on. This is going to be incredible. But the truth is, Christmas reveals not only the longings of our heart, but it also reveals to us that God has something better for us than simply fulfilling our longings. That even if we got the bonus check 
or the thing under the tree or our relationships were mended, even if those things happen, that's, that's not as great as what God has in store for us. It's not as great. I remember uh, for Brad and I, my, my older brother, there was a year where we so badly wanted a dirt bike. And so we, you know, we wrote our letter to Santa. And we were super excited about it. And sure enough, Christmas morning shows up and we, we walk downstairs and we're like, where is it? Right? Like as punk kids, that's kind of how you think. And we saw a little helmet and we're like, hey, there's a helmet, but where's the dirt bike? And we go out back and there's the KX80. This thing, it was older than us, okay? But, but it was this dirt bike and we were so thrilled. And the longing that we had that had been cultivated over that whole season, we're like, here it is. But what do we find out? It's the wrong season. There's snow on the ground. We can't use the dirt bike like we want to use it. And then months pass and we finally get to use it. And what did I realize? I'm too little for this thing. And I got destroyed racing this thing down a lane and then crashing it super hard. So, so the longing that we have during this season, God, God allows for us to see that some of the things that we want so badly, and they can be good and great things, he's got something even better in store for us. The hope that he's going to deliver is far superior to anything else. So the hope of God arrives in a season of pain, and many of us need to be reminded of that. Christmas season is not devoid of pain. There's hurt, there's brokenness, there are relationships that are fractured, there are work experiences that are traumatic, there are things going on right now that are just really, really hard. But into that, God has a message of hope for us. The hope of God comes in the form of a promise. That's what we find next. We find this individual, Zachariah, doing his ministry, and he gets a message from an angel. Look at this, verses 8 and following. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. It's telling us that he had a job to do. He was a priest and he had a, a specific assignment within the temple. And, you know, the priesthood during that day and age, that was a vocational uh, kind of high point in their, in their culture. And, and they would draw lots. They would like roll dice or whatever, or, you know, rock, paper, scissors. But, but they would choose who, who had the privilege of going in and lighting this incense. And in this time, on this day, it falls to Zechariah. And so this is kind of the high point of his career. But what do we find out? That even though his career is going so well, the prayers that he has to offer reveal this brokenheartedness. That he's thinking about his wife, and he's thinking about her condition, and he's thinking about the child that he wants to have. And all of that is bound up in, in this experience here. The hope of God comes in the form of a promise when the angel visits him there and begins to articulate the message that God has. Look at verses 11 and following. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you are to call him John. So he gets a message from God himself. The angel of the Lord appears to him while he's doing his job and the angel begins to say to him, your prayers have been heard. What you've been longing for has been heard in the courts of heaven and God is taking action. And it's not just for you and your family, but it is a message of hope for the entire nation. And, and he's beginning to explain now what this is going to entail. But this angel freaks him out. He falls down 
and he has to be comforted. And this angel begins to tell him this message of grace. In fact, the first word that he gives him is, you're going to have a son, and here's the name you're to call him, John. And that's significant because John means the Lord is gracious or the Lord is merciful. So he's saying, look, you're going to have a son, and this son is going to be the embodiment of the grace of God for his people. The, the, the pain that you've been experiencing, the pain that the whole nation has been experiencing because they have experienced spiritual barrenness, that there are no prophets giving them words of the Lord anymore. The, the people of God are struggling through this kind of dark season, and God now is showing up and saying, there is a message of grace for my people, and it's going to visit your household, but it is for this entire nation and all the nations of the earth, in fact. So he gives them this message, this message that they're going to have a child, and he begins to tell him then the message of hope. It's a message of promise. He says in verses 14 and following, he, this son of yours, will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents back to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteousness to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. What does the angel say to to this guy? He says, you're going to have a son named John. The Lord is merciful. The Lord is gracious. And here's what this promise means for you. It's a message of hope. It's a message of what God intends to do. And this child that you're going to have is going to be the forerunner for the Savior himself. He begins to tell us some of the features of the promise that this child is going to be a delight and a joy, that they're going to be parents and they're going to be very excited about this this child and he's going to look at this child with longing, with delight, with joy, um, looking at him and just going, man, this is awesome. I was thinking about this with Harrison uh, last night. He was up late and so everyone else is asleep and Harrison's sitting there in my bed just staring at me. And I'm just looking at him like, I love this kid so much. And that's how the the parents are going to look at John, that he's going to be a delight and a joy. Many will rejoice. Not everyone is going to be thrilled with his message, but it is a message that many of the Israelites are going to hear and they're going to respond to. Many will rejoice. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will be consecrated to God. His life will be something that is completely committed to God himself and for God's own purposes. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. He will be a minister in the spirit of Elijah, one of the prophets of old. And his ministry will be one of preparation for the Lord, calling people to repentance and faith. What an awesome thing to be told. Your your child is going to pave the way for the Son of God to show up. Your child is going to come on the scene and prepare people's hearts for encountering the the living Christ himself. His ministry is awesome. And uh, as you know, some of the things about his ministry are obviously unique to him. There are things about John the Baptist that are unique to him. He was kind of an odd dude. Uh, I remember reading to my daughter, Reese, the, uh, the Bible storybook stuff, and we'd get to the part about John the Baptist, and it talked about how he wore itchy, scratchy clothes, and he ate locusts. And, and so when we'd ask her, you know, who's John? And she'd go, John, who eats the bugs? She'd describe him that way. John who eats the bugs. And so he's a unique individual and he had a unique ministry that he was called to be the forerunner for Christ. And he literally went before the people of God and he proclaimed, repent and turn to God. 
He called them out into, into the desert wilderness and he invited them to baptism. And, and uh, he, he, he literally did prepare the way for people to be ready to receive their coming king. That's unique. That's unique. It's a unique thing that happened in time and space, in history. He is a unique individual. But nonetheless, I want to suggest this to you. His ministry, the essence of his ministry is not unique to him. I actually think the ministry of John is something that we should all embrace. If the aim of his ministry was to introduce people to the Lord himself, isn't that what every Christian should be doing? If the aim of his ministry was to help people encounter Christ, to prepare them for that experience, then isn't that the posture and the ministry that every single one of us that calls ourselves a Christ follower, isn't that what we're supposed to do? And I want to suggest to you this Christmas season that we would follow in his footsteps. The message of hope is the message of a promise. And what God does is he takes individuals and he says, I am preparing a place for my son to show up and people to experience him and experience salvation. So let's think about this then. What if our, mini- what if our goal right now was not simply to embrace Christmas? What if our goal was to help people encounter Christ? This season can be so busy and there's so many good things that are happening right now. But what if we kind of reorient ourselves right now and in the coming weeks and we say, look, here's what we want to do as individuals and as a church. We want to make space for our Lord. We want to prepare people to encounter him. We want to be engaged in the mission that God has given through, throughout the ages, but specifically to John and now to us. We want to, we want to prepare people to meet the Lord. We, we want to get people to Christ. We want to, like him, orient our lives around being set apart to minister, to tell people the news of the kingdom, to call people to repentance, to make ethical applications of what it would look like to live with a holy God, to be humble in our posture. John, he was, he was the one who kept saying, I want Jesus to be elevated and I can decrease. And so we want to have that posture as well. But what if we as individuals and as a church said, that's what we're going to do right now. We are going to try to get people to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, because that's what Christmas is really about. Uh, in 2007, I had the privilege of going over to uh, Jerusalem, to the, to the Middle East, and, and seeing these different sites. And I remember we'd take these different tours, and, and one of the places that we went to was actually kind of a, a community that was out in the sticks. It was like this um, place out in the middle of nowhere. And they, tradition has it that this might have been the place where John the Baptist spent a lot of his upbringing. And it's basically, it would kind of be like a, like a boarding school, like a religious boarding school. So potentially John the Baptist got shipped off by his parents to go to this place where he could develop as a, as a, as a believer. And, and I was thinking about that this week because I was wondering, what would it be like if we were so committed to the things of God that we would inconvenience ourselves and our families for the, for the sake of God's mission. That's, I think that's really hard to do, especially during a season like this. But can you imagine if that were true, if John went to a school like that, he probably missed religious festivals. He probably missed opportunities to be with his family. And they decided it would be worth it. And I'm just saying, what if we said, what we're most passionate about is introducing people to Christ. And so we will inconvenience ourselves for that end, for that aim. We will do things differently around this season because we want people to receive the king himself. 
We will open our table to strangers or neighbors. We will we'll do things that not, not just for our family and for our sake, but for the family of God. What if we inconvenienced ourselves for the mission of God during this season? Because that's what I think John was willing to do. His entire life was dedicated to this thing. We have a message of hope. So let's be like John and open wide the arms of the church and the arms of our families and just say, we're going to try to think through how could we make this available for other people. So the hope of God is the hope of the promise. And the hope of God isn't stunted by our unbelief. And I'm grateful for this. The hope of God, the message of Christmas, we can't really ruin it. We can't mess it up. It isn't stunted by our unbelief. Look at how Zechariah responds to the, this announcement. Verse 18, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. He puts a question to the angel and he says, how is this going to work exactly? And what we find out is his question is not just an ordinary question. It's actually an expression of unbelief. He's saying, I don't think that's possible. I don't think that could really come true. And so what I want to do for a moment is just talk about the difference between an honest question and a question that reveals unbelief. Zechariah has a question revealing his unbelief, but asking honest questions is a good thing. In fact, in the very next episode, the very next scene, uh, when, when the angel visits Mary, she says something similar. In verse 36, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. Her question is one of, not that I don't believe it's going to happen, I'm just curious how it's going to happen. There, there should be a space for us to ask honest questions like that. Like, I'm not exactly sure how this is going to work, but I trust that it will work. I'm not exactly certain how this is going to play out, but I believe that your word is faithful and true. And even if I don't get it, I trust you. Zechariah, on the other hand, has a, a question that reveals his unbelief. And we see that in verse 20, because the angel himself says, because you did not believe my words. So we want to be a place where questions are addressed, where you have the freedom and the liberty to ask really good, really profound questions. We do not want to silence any of that. My wife and I, we were talking this week about some of the things that as Christians, we don't always feel we have permission to ask. But this should be a place where you're free to ask sincere and honest questions. Derek Tidball, a scholar, he puts it like this. It's important to recognize that it's often the silencing of doubts rather than the voicing of them, which sows seeds of future unbelief. If we've got things going on in our hearts, questions that we have, and we never have the freedom to, to just say them out loud or wrestle with them, we actually might be setting ourselves up for unbelief. We should be able to ask questions like Mary does, but let's be careful because here in this story, Zechariah asks a question that reveals his unbelief and the angel responds to him and reprimands him. Look at, look at what happens next, verses 19 and following. The angel said to him, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple for he kept making signs to them, but he remained unable to speak. Here's what's happening. He doesn't believe the word of promise. And because of his unbelief, the angel reprimands him and actually, in a sense, punishes him by making him silent for a season. 
And the thing that I was thinking about is, man, sometimes Christians are so prone to going through the motions that we never even reflect on our hearts and what's going on at that deep level. Zechariah is a priest. He has the word of God. He's serving in the temple of God. He's offering prayers. He's saying, God, would you please visit my wife and this nation and do something profound for us? And when the angel comes and says, I heard your prayer, I'm doing it. He goes, no way. So many of us do the exact same thing. We're praying, God, would you please do this? Would you please show up? Would you please do something mighty and powerful? But we don't actually believe it's going to happen. We go through the motions and we don't expect that God is going to make good on his word. We need to be careful right now in this season of asking that God would do something, but not really trusting that he's either able or willing. We have to be people who say, God, we know you to be a good God, a powerful God, a God who's at work. And when we pray, we want to pray with faith that you actually will follow through and do the things that you want to do. And so I guess I'm just reflecting on my own heart because my tendency is to do that, to go through the motions, to go, you know what, here's what we're going to do. We're going to, you know, do Christmas kind of stuff, and we're going to think about these things, and we're going to pray about these things, but to not really allow my heart to embrace the hope of the season. And I want to change that because I think God wants us to pray with faith that he's going to do something. But another thing that I want to show you is that even when we have unbelief, it doesn't ruin Christmas. For Zechariah, he doesn't, they don't go, look, sorry, we came to the wrong place. And because you can't believe, we're going to go visit the next guy down the road. He doesn't ruin Christmas with his unbelief. The promise of God is so powerful that instead of abandoning it, the angel says, I'm going to get you on board with it. And here's what that looks like. He's isolated for a season so that he might come to actually realize the power of this message of hope. He's now silenced. The angel loves him enough. God loves him enough to silence him so that he could begin to reflect and pray about what God is actually doing. This is a, this is a profound thing. Um, Robert Clinton, he, he talks about leadership and Christian leaders specifically, but he says this is a thing a lot of leaders go through, a, a season called isolation where you kind of get taken off the shelf for a moment and you have to learn to trust God. And that's exactly what's happening with him here. There's a season for him where he can't even speak. And he has to reflect on this for the, the coming months until his son finally arrives, but he's unable to speak for that whole duration of the pregnancy until delivery. And some of us are going through that right now. We think there has to be something that God is doing here, but we're, we're isolated. And we don't, maybe we don't feel like we're being used to our potential, but, but here's what God can do in a season like that. He can teach you profound things about himself. That the unbelief can be revealed in our hearts and in that isolation, in that season, he can show us how good and kind he really is. That he is a gracious and a merciful God. And that's what Zechariah has to go through. Here's, here's what I want to say, fam. Discipline is an expression of God's love. Sometimes he will bring us through seasons that will help us to set our gaze on, on the Lord and Savior. He'll bring us through things that are hard and, and challenging. He'll, he'll allow us to go through a season where we feel like we're not being utilized or used or whatever the case might be, and he's doing it for our good. And that's what he's doing for Zechariah here. He's helping Zechariah to embrace this promise of hope so that when the child does show up, there's no question in his mind, this is my delight, this is my joy, this is the forerunner to my Savior. And so the message of hope goes forward. And, and the last thing that I want to show you then is that this hope of God is a cause for praise. 
So if the hope of God can show up in a season of pain, and it does, if this hope of God is mainly an announcement of God's promise to us and what he's going to do, it is. If it isn't stunted by our unbelief, then therefore this message of hope should cause us great pain. I'm sorry, great praise. It should cause us to be very, very grateful for the things that God is doing. Look at verses 23 and following. It says, when his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he's shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. So what do we find here at the end of our story? We find that the family is now celebrating, that they have a child, that she is pregnant, and, and she hid herself for a season, probably because of the concern that she would have about maybe even losing the child, but she hid herself for a season and finally she's able to kind of come forward and go, look at what God is doing. Look at what God is doing. The Lord has done this for me. He's shown his favor. He's taken away my disgrace. He has blessed me richly. There's personal rejoicing when we experience the hope of the promise. There's personal rejoicing. Christmas is, is that opportunity for us to recognize the fulfillment of that promise that God sent his son, Jesus, and we get, to, we get to rejoice together with the angels and with the first century believers and with all of the church as we think about the beauty of this message of hope. And, and so what I want to say to us then is that Christmas and, and embracing this message of hope, it's more than just celebrating a birthday party. You know, sometimes we'll talk about, we'll do this with our kids, we'll talk about, you know, Christmas is Jesus's birthday. And, and that's a cute way to put it, but I want them to realize there's so much more going on than just a birthday party. I remember going to a, to a birthday party. Uh, it was a friend of my wife's friend. So a friend of a friend. And we go to this party in the suburbs of Chicago and the food is amazing. And the, the hospitality is killer and it's a lot of fun, but I don't know the dude. I have no idea who this person is. So I'm just enjoying, you know, this this birthday party for this person that I don't even know. Christmas is so much more than just enjoying somebody else's party. It's a message of hope where we get to rejoice because we understand what God has done. We should have that experience of celebrating the, the fulfillment of God's promises to his people. Zechariah, you see it a little bit later on. You can glance over at it. During that whole stretch, he is unable to speak, but finally the, the child arrives and he calls him by his name. His name is John, and he's able to speak again. And what does he do? He sings a song in verses 67 and following. He breaks out into a song because he recognizes this is what we've been waiting for. On that personal level, we've been waiting for a child, but on the, on, on the corporate level with the people, we've been waiting for the Savior to come. And this child, John, is the forerunner to him. And so we celebrate and he begins to sing and you can look at the lyrics there, but, but he's talking about how God has fulfilled his promise of hope, that God has brought about salvation. He's come to his people to redeem them. He's raised up this horn of salvation. He's done this just as people have said all along, the holy prophets of old, salvation has come. He's shown us mercy. That's what we get to do. We get to celebrate what God is doing with this message of hope. And so fam, as we think about this, the Christmas time is a time to reflect on God's promise to us and what he's done in the sending of his son. And the thing for us to do then as we apply this is, maybe it just looks like this. We sing a little louder. 
We just sing a little louder. You don't have to go string up more lights or create new traditions, but what if we just said, we want to create a space for people to experience the Lord and Savior. We recognize how awesome this is. We're going to sing a little bit louder this year. We're going to thank God for what he's done. And we're going to orient our lives to help other people experience that as well. So I'm going to invite the band to come up and we're going to pray. But, but hopefully over this next week and a half that we would be reflecting on this incredible message of hope. So let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for our time together in your word. We are so grateful, God, that you can remind us of what you're doing. And we pray that as a church family, we do a good job of being ready, tuning our hearts to what you're doing. Lord, we pray that as individuals and as a church, that we would do a good job of trying to introduce other people to our Savior, that we would make plans, that we would be intentional, that we would think about people that we could invite to different experiences, just so that we would have opportunities to have spiritual conversations, Lord. Lord, would you help us to be like John? Would you anoint us for that ministry? Would you help us to think strategically about how to go about it? Help us, God. Some of us are in a season of brokenness and pain, and we need to be reminded that your message of hope can touch down in our lives, uh, that we're not experiencing something because we're bad people, but, but you're at work, God, so help us to believe in you. Help us to trust God. Help us to deal with our unbelief and recognize that your promise is so powerful that it's coming true. Help us to turn our attention to our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen.